thank you for joining us here at Crossword Church for this week's message. Our desire is to see people's lives transform as they develop an authentic relationship with Jesus. We would like to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So take a moment and visit us online at mycrosswordchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us and we hope you enjoyed today's message. Hallelujah, Jesus. Teach us how to wait, Father. Teach us how to wait upon you. When our minds are running and our emotions are boiling and we feel out of control, teach us how to wait on you. Teach us not to be led by what we see, but teach us to walk by faith. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I speak the word of the Lord over this city today. That God is yet in control. And Father, I thank you because you hear the prayers of the righteous. And your ears are inclined to us. And so Lord, as we wait on you, as we depend on you, as we trust in you, that you will make all things new. Hallelujah, Jesus. Teach us how to wait. Hallelujah. Teach us how to wait. Oh my Jesus. Teach us how to wait. In your presence God. Teach us how to wait. Father, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray. Oh, Lord. Teach us how to pray. Mm, Jesus. Teach us how to to pray yes 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 teach us how to pray Lord let the spirit of intercession father begins to fall in every home father let it begin to fall in every church God I pray that you'll be, begin to release the power of intercession like never before that you will call forth your sons and daughters from the east and from the west and the north and the south. And Father God, that we would begin to know what it means to fall on our faces before you. And to get a hold of the horns of the altar of God. And begin to cry aloud and spare not. And begin to weep over our city, even as Daniel weeped over his city. Father, teach us how to pray today. And then after we've prayed, teach us how to wait on you.
how to rest in your presence, how to tabernacle under the shadow of the Almighty. Knowing that you are not only sovereign, but you are also just and righteous. God, we need you. We need you in the Twin Cities. We need you in Minneapolis and St. Paul. We need you in every suburb. Father, we need you in the state of Minnesota. God, we need you in America. We need you in the nations of the world. God, we need you like never before. And we thank you for your promise that says, Lo, you're with us always. Amen. And amen. We are so excited to be coming into your homes today. There is so much that's been happening in the world of late. And it, as, it is as though there's such chaos and confusion and hurt and frustration and pain. And people are trying to struggle in knowing how to channel all of those emotions, all of those feelings that they're feeling. But I want you to know that God is still on the throne and he is still in control. And when the saints of God go up in prayer, when the saints of God stand within the gap and begin to intercede, that God begins to move like never before. And so I want to encourage you to take heart. I want to encourage you to look up. I want you to encourage you to remain steadfast, unmovable, immovable, always abounding in the word of God. He's here. He's there. And God will do what his word says that he will do. The enemy will not get the last laugh. No, no, no. God is on the throne. Amen. And amen. Today I want to continue our message. Visionary. Translating crisis into opportunity. And today, today I'm going to talk about visionary people. Visionary people. You know, the people of Judah and the city of Jerusalem were in a terrible condition. They went, they were literally in what would be considered a dismal situation. Over 150 years earlier, Nebuchadnezzar came through with his army and he invaded Israel and he carried away many of the people as slaves. And the Jews were desperately in need of someone with a vision. They needed someone to be able to hear from God in order to restore Jerusalem and Israel back to her former glory. You see, they needed someone with a different spirit. They needed someone that has been captured by God and the burning passion of the Spirit of God. They needed someone that was pregnant with vision 
that would lead them into the next place, the next stage, the next dimension of what God was doing. The people needed a person. They needed a leader to inspire them, to intercede for them, to bring godly instructions to them so that they can experience deliverance from the oppression. They needed someone to invite them into rebuilding the walls and restoring their city and their nation. And today, our nation, our state of Minnesota, uh, it, we need to see God raise up people who are not only inspired, who will not only intercede, who will not only receive instructions, but we need to see God raise up people who are willing to stand in the gap and put their hands to the plow so that the vision of God can come forth. The nation of Israel needed such a man. They needed a person. And his name was Nehemiah. God prepared Nehemiah. And some of you may know the story of Nehemiah. He was instrumental in the rebuilding and the reestablishing of Jerusalem in the 5th century BC. Following the Babylonian exile. You and I may be thousands of years removed from the time of Nehemiah. But we live in a nation today, we're in a time, we're in a season where we desperately need people with vision. We live in a day where the walls of morality and virtue and justice and righteousness in society have been torn down. And the gates of honor and civility and respect and human dignity have been set aflame. It is clear to many that this present day church is a mere shell of her former glory. See, the walls of separation between the church and the world seemingly has been torn down. And the gates of the glory of God that identified us as the house of God has been burned by the flames of sin and selfishness, carnality, and the tarnish have been tarnished by the, the blight of com compromise, by the blight of compromise, apathy, indulgence, worldliness and prayerlessness you know friends it seems like it appears as though we no longer are striving to be the city set on a hill it, it seems as though we're no, no longer striving to be the shining light that we're no longer striving to be the salt in the earth it appears as though we have settled for beautiful buildings and uh, convenient pure programming while aligning ourselves with worldly agendas. It appears as though we have forgotten what it means to love God with all of our hearts. And, and to love our neighbors and as ourselves. That we have forgotten how to pray and not faint. How to walk thoughtfully. Redeeming the times because of the evil of our present day. It appears as though that we have missed an entire generation. Because we were too busy. Pursuing personal pursuits with work, with ministry, 
too busy to discern the enemy's secret and subtle stealing of our children's hearts and minds. It appears as though that even in the midst of a pandemic, that we're still so busy that we're unable to rightly discern the times and the seasons. Listen, God has initiated his program, his kingdom agenda. And he has literally brought the global world to a state of reset. And out of chaos, the glory of the knowledge of God will not only fill the earth, but it will confound the wise. It will confront and consume the wicked. It will conform and comfort the weak and the humble of heart. We need visionary people today. Friends, I want you to know that we can be visionary people. That we can become the people that God uses to extend his glory in the earth, even in the midst of crisis and confusion. That God wants us to make a difference for his name's sake. God wants us to be visionary people. In Nehemiah chapter 1, we see this man of God going through a process of preparing himself and allowing God to use him. If you're taking notes, this will be point number one. Visionary people encounter problems. I want you to know that even if you're visionary, it does not negate you. It does not put you in a, in a place of not being able to engage problems. You will have problems. In verse 1, we see the calmness of Nehemiah's life. Verse 1 said, it came to pass in the month of Chislev in the 20th year as I was in Shushan in the citadel. So he is now in the castle. He's in the place of authority. And the life of Nehemiah, he was a cupbearer. He had a life of peace, a life of prosperity. He, has a, he had a life of power and, and prominence. His job was that of tasting everything that was to go to the king so that if someone ever tried to poison the king, that Nehemiah would be that interception. He would have been one that has been trusted by the king. I would imagine that the king would have um, come to him for advice at times. Nehemiah would have lived a good life. In verses 2 and 3, we see the calamity of Nehemiah. It says that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with men from Judea. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity. And concerning Jerusalem, verse 3 says, And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. And not only that, the walls of Jerusalem is also broken down 
and its gates are burning with fire. You see, before the news, Nehemiah was going through his everydayness of life. He was doing the things that he was responsible to do. He had a place of prominence and he was walking in authority. But then news came to him of what was going on with the Jews that were in captivity. And isn't that how it is that sometimes we can be going along our day. We can be moving into things that we are supposed to do. And all of a sudden we get a text message. All of a sudden we get an, a, a message. All of a sudden we get some sort of notification. And in that moment everything seemingly stops. And I can imagine that Nehemiah when he heard of the condition of his people that his heart was broken. I can imagine that he was even devastated. In verse number four, we see the compassion of Nehemiah's life. Verse four says, so it was that when I heard these words that I sat down and then I wept and I mourned for many days. I was fasting and I was praying before the God of heaven. See, when Nehemiah heard this dreadful news, he, he literally broke away from everything that he was doing. His heart was breaking in that moment and he started fasting. He started weeping. He started praying. And he started interceding. That news led him to his knees. Nehemiah was broken. He was devastated for the news regarding the people that he loved. And I want to say, just like the mayors of Minneapolis and St. Paul, that as they see what's been transpiring in the cities that they loved, that I believe that their hearts have been broken, that their hearts have been devastated. And also for you and I, that our hearts, it should be broken, it should be devastated by what we're seeing before our very eyes. And this should bring us to a place where we're on our knees before God, asking him for wisdom and for instructions. See, our nation, our cities, our communities should, based on the condition, should be compelling us to be visionary people. So you may be listening to me today and you may be asking, so what are visionary people? How do I know how a visionary person is supposed to respond in the midst of crisis? You see, we need to be visionary people who can see through the smoke, see through the fog of the deception and to be able to discern the schemes of the enemy. People who know how to respond in the spirit when painful emotions and anxieties and frustration and anger and even rage begins to get at a fever pitch and when we're at a tipping point tipping towards catastrophe and chaos visionary people make courageous uh, decisions they are wise they're spirit-led they move in the realm of the spirit and what they do produces life and it instead of death 
their actions bring solutions rather than exacerbate the problems. They speak in love the truth. They call out injustice and unrighteousness. Visionary people build informed, influential, and intentional coalitions and partnerships. Rather than leveraging emotional strategies, they leverage preferred, a preferred picture of a brighter and a better future. Listen, visionary people, they leverage the vision of God for rebuilding and restoring the broken down walls. They leverage the vision of God to rebuild and restore the burned down gates. Visionary people are people of prevailing prayer. And so as we get to verse number 4 through verse number 11, we begin to see this man, this cupbearer turned intercessor, turned leader, begins to intercede before his God on behalf of his people, posturing himself to be a vehicle through which God can not only show up, but he can also show out. I want you to know today that in the midst of everything that you might be seeing, God wants you to position yourself to be not only his voice, but also his hands and his feet today. That there is more that you can do than just simply watch the news feeds and get angry and frustrated. There is great power that God has invested in his church. And when the church of the living God begins to understand and move in the realm of the spirit, that there is more that we can do in the realm of the spirit than what we can do in the natural. If you're taking notes, number two, visionary people... Visionary people exercise prayer. I'm going to say that again. Visionary people, they exercise prayer. They employ prayer. They engage in prayer. They uh, endow prayer. They literally endure whatever they're going through in prayer. As Nehemiah goes before the Lord, he sets the example for the people and he postures himself and shows them how to be visionary in the midst of crisis. And he begins to teach them how you come before the Lord. In verse number five, we see visionary praying involves praise. I'm going to say that again. Visionary praying, it involves praise. The power of praise is that when we begin to praise God, what it does, it literally shifts our gaze. It literally causes us to take our attention off of the problem and literally put it on the problem solver of God. Listen, praise will still the enemy at every point because it's not just something that we do, but it's something that we should become. But praise is more than just something we do. Praise is what should flow out of the life of the child of God. It's an expression that every time I see the glory of God, every time I see the creative power of God, every time I see the nature and the attributes of God, there is a response that comes from the inside of my being that begins to magnify and praise God. And so visionary praying involves praise. Verse number six, we see visionary praying involves perseverance. 
It involves perseverance. Nehemiah continues and he says, please let your ear, he's talking to the father, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open. That you may hear the prayer of your servants, which I pray before you now. Night and day. For the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which have sinned against you. This is interesting because we see Nehemiah, he's praying, but he's not just sending up a prayer and then going on his way. The word records that he's praying day and night. See, he got before God until his prayers were answered. And this is the kind of prayer that God is calling the church into, especially in a moment, in a time such as this. We need to be able to demonstrate that persistence in prayer. See, this is not the time to pray and then just stop. We pray for a little while and then we stop and we act as though we didn't pray at all. But the kind of prayer that God is calling us into visionary prayer, it's literally that we go before God and we stay before God until he moves. I'm going to say it again. God wants you to come before him and stay before him until he moves. The question is, how desperate are you? How desperate are you when you see the news feeds, when you see all the reports of what's going on in your state, in your city, in your community? How desperate are you to get before God today? See, this is what Jesus called us into in the parable of the persistent prayerful widow in Luke chapter 18. I like how James put it with regards to the persistence in prayer. In James chapter 16 verse, I'm sorry, James chapter 5 verse 16. I'm going to read from the Amplified Bible. It says, therefore, confess your sins one to another. Your faults, your offenses, and pray one for another. That you may be healed and restored. Hey, listen, I'm going to continue, but I got to just say this. If we want God to heal us and to restore us, we have got to begin to confess. We have got to begin to pray one for another. The end of this verse says, it's the heartfelt and persistent prayer of a righteous man, of a righteous person, of a righteous believer that it can accomplish much. When put in action and made perfect, made effective by God, it becomes dynamic and can have tremendous power. Listen, when we begin to pray with a sense of urgency, with a sense of intensity, with a sense of persistence, it is that prayer that will begin to do mighty things in the realm of the spirit. There's an author that I love, that I fellowship with him almost every day. His name is Andrew Murray. And he is known throughout the, 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 the church world in Christendom as one of the foremost thoughts and thinkers on the subject of prayer. 
And he begins to unpack the importance of prayer in the life of the believer. He talks a lot about prayerlessness and how we operate with a sense of prayerlessness. And I want you to know that if you have been struggling in the area of prayer, maybe seeing everything that you have been seeing this week, it's literally brought you to a place of paralysis where you're finding it difficult to pray. I want you to know if you're in that state today, just lift your hands up right now and begin to open up your mouth and begin to call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and begin to declare who he is. When we get to verses 6 through 7, we see that praying involves penitence. Now that word is not something that we hear very often today, but it's the word that reminds us of repentance. When you think of repentance, it literally means biblically to change the way you think. It literally means to change your mind. It means to revert from your worldly way of thinking to the way of God. Nehemiah is praying and he says, both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept your commandments, the statues, nor the ordinances which you commanded to Moses. Listen, as this man prays, he begins to confess his sins as an individual and the sins of his people as a nation he even confesses the sins of his fathers we see here that Nehemiah had what would be known as a repentant heart he had a broken heart before God It is important for us to understand that in Nehemiah's prayer, he did not come and just try to focus on talking about what others did wrong. But what he did was he was willing to see what he did that was also wrong before God. Where did he miss it with the Lord? See, true repentance is about getting ourselves, our hearts, right with God. True repentance is not about casting blame on somebody else. True repentance is coming before God and lifting our hands to heaven and say, Lord, search me, O God, and see if there is any wickedness in my heart. Because we live in a world where the blame game runs prominent. If we move down to verses 8 through 10, we see that visionary praying involves promises. Visionary praying involves promises. Nehemiah is praying and he says, remember, I pray the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments to do them, Though some of you cast out, were cast out to the furthest parts of heaven, yet I will gather you from there and bring you into a place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Verse 10 says, now these are your servants. These are your people 
whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Hey, listen, Nehemiah is praying and he's reminding God of the promises that he made to Moses. He begins to remind God, he begins to call into remembrance the things that God said. That God said that he would punish the sins, but he would also restore when repentance takes place. I want you to know today that in the midst of whatever that you may be dealing, in the midst of whatever we are dealing with as a community, that if we are repentant before God, the promise is this, God will restore us. See, when prayer is based on the word of God, his only response is to respond. Do you get that? When prayers are based on his word, his only response is to respond to his word. Why? Because God has staked his very reputation on the accuracy of his word. This is what Psalms 138 verse 2 says I'm going to read from the amplified it says I will worship towards your holy temple and praise your name for your long suffering for your loving kindness and your truth for you have magnified listen to this for you have magnified your word above your name God has magnified his word above his name he has promised us that his promises will be fulfilled see we see this in Romans chapter 4 verses 19 through 21 with regards to Abraham and that Abraham was convinced that the promises that God made to him regarding his seed that God had the power he had the resolution to be to fulfill them and then in verse 11, visionary praying involves partners. It involves partners. He says, oh Lord, I pray, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name and let your servant prosper this day. I pray, grant him mercy in the sight of this man. He says, for I was the king's cupbearer. See, as Nehemiah prayed, he reminded God that he was not the only person that was involved in the praying. He reminded God that God's children, his servants were also interceding. He may have been the one that God used to initiate that move of the Spirit. But he was not the only person. He needed partners. I want to tell you this Christian walk is not designed to be walked out in isolation. Oh God. It's designed for us to move forward in community. One of the things that we have seen is that being isolated for almost three months, many of us were struggling with how to handle the isolation. And so as Nehemiah is talking to God, he's helping, he's telling the father that 
I'm not the only person praying. And I'm, I want to say this to you that sometimes you may feel as though you're the only person. You may feel as though that no one understands. You may feel as though that you're going through this season of life by yourself. But I want you to know that the good gospel news is this, that you're not alone. Let me encourage you to get around other people and get them involved in what's going on in your life. And you get involved in what's going on in their lives. Begin to pray together. Begin to worship together. Praise together. Have that community where you can have that communion. See, the Lord told us in Matthew 18 verse 19 that the power of prayer is powerful when it's in a corporate setting. In verse 11, we continue and we also see that visionary prayers involves petitions. See, Nehemiah finally gets around to what really was on his heart. At that moment, as he was praying, it was not simply interceding for his own self, but he was praying for his nation. He knew that he had to be able to prevail in prayer. He knew that he had to stand and stay before God. And I want you to understand as we begin to move into deeper revelation or deeper understanding of prayer that it's incumbent upon us that we ought to have the expression of not only getting before God but staying before God. See, here is the thing. With regards to petitions, we know that God wants us to bring our petitions to him. Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 says, In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request, your requests be made known unto God. Friends, I want you to know that God has called the church to be visionary people. Visionary people start with prayer. They proceed with vision and the provision that God provides. And then they persevere in the crisis and in the chaos because of the promises that God has made to them. We're in a difficult day. But there is great assurance in the word of God. In this story of Nehemiah, we see that God raised up a man who moved not only himself, but he also moved a people. He moved a king and a kingdom. Listen, do not ever underestimate the power of your prayer life. And as I close this message today, I want to call the church to a deeper place of prayer. And let that deeper praise place of prayer be the reservoir from which all the other actions begin to flow from. Because it's one thing to just pray and that's all that we do. But here's the thing. Prayer is a verb. It means that after we pray, God gives instructions and then we operate and we move in those instructions. And so I believe that God is speaking very clearly 
about things that need to happen and things that needs, need to be done. And I'm believing that you're able to posture yourself in the spirit of God to be able to hear. I'm speaking to leaders today. I'm speaking to those who have oversight over uh, bodies of people, over organizations, over, over all kinds of areas of administration. That the word of the Lord is to seek first his kingdom. Seek first his wisdom. And then out of that, move with great haste and diligence. I just want to pray over us today. Father God, we thank you. But because you are a God that hear our prayers. That you incline your ears to the cries of your people. And so Lord, as we are connected in the spirit right now. Lord, touch every home, touch every family member. Lord God, touch every situation. Lord, we lift up every business owner who has lost their business this week and they're feeling like almost a double jeopardy and they're wondering how they're going to get from here to there. Some of them may not even know who you are. But God, the church prays. And just like when Peter was in prison and the church got together and prayed and the prison door was opened, Father, we're asking that the heavens would be open now. And I decree an open heaven in this city today. I decree an open heaven in Minnesota today. I decree that the angels of God have been, are being dispatched even right now. And Lord, what the enemy meant for evil... God, you turn it around and use it for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I just want to pray one last prayer. If you're listening, you may be in a state of confusion, hurt, feeling that you don't know what to do, but you heard this message and you want to make a decision to let Jesus Christ be the Lord and Savior of your life. I want to invite you to meet him today. Just say with me. Just say, Father, I come to you today and I give you my life. Take all of me. I believe your word that Jesus is who his word says he is. And I receive him today as my Lord and Savior by faith. I'm a child of God. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. If you've prayed that prayer, you are now in the family of God. If you could see the angels now in heaven, they are rejoicing because of your decision. And we are rejoicing. We love you. We're praying for you. We're believing God with you. Amen and amen.